The Trinity is one of the most controversial and often debated doctrines in all of Christendom, oftentimes strawmanned by opponents who don't fully grasp it and sometimes misrepresented by evangelicals that don't really know how to articulate much about their faith, let alone something as intricate and important as the Godhead. But I stumbled across this video from a couple years ago I wanted to share with you guys, specifically on the doctrine of the Trinity. I got three verses that solidify the idea of Jesus being co-eternal God, God from eternity past, almighty God, Yahweh himself, okay? So let's jump into this conversation. This is a pretty cool video from Nabil. In a rational way, the concept of the Trinity. No, that's a very good question um, because it is uh, so idiosyncratic to the Christian faith and it is extremely important to understand. When I first wrestled with the Trinity, I found it to be very difficult. In fact, I was taught that the Trinity was veiled polytheism. Uh, being raised in a Muslim home. Uh, that's that's a, often a straw man from folks that are not from the Christian tradition and, want to sh and, and don't understand the Trinity. They will say, oh, the Trinity sounds like polytheism, multiple gods, there's three gods. That's not the Trinity. Especially with verses from the Quran like Surah Al-Maidah, verse 73, uh, it made it pretty clear to me that the Trinity is a belief in three, three gods, not one. And when you, I asked the average Christian to explain what the Trinity was, I usually didn't get anything more than a blank stare. And they would say, well, it's three in one. And I'd say, well, what does that mean? You know, it's three in one. It's like, well, that's a shampoo, not God. Tell me, what, what, <laughs> is, what, what do you mean three in one? And generally speaking, I wouldn't get a response. I'm gonna cut to it so that we can have more questions. It, it's important to be able to articulate the doctrine of the Trinity if you believe in it. Uh, if you believe in it, be able to articulate it. Otherwise, you don't really know what you believe in and you don't actually believe it. You want to believe it, but you yep. don't know what it is. That's good. So be able to articulate the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is the belief that God is one in being and three in person. One in being and three in person. Mm -hmm. So right off the bat, it's not a contradiction. Because if I were to say it's one in being and three in being, that is a contradiction. That's right. It's one in being and three in person. Not three gods. So what's the difference between a being and a person? A being is that quality or that essence or that substance, whatever you want to call it. A being is that which makes you what you are. Mm -hmm. And a person is that quality or that essence that makes you whom you are. That's good. Being is what you are, and then there's who you are. A being is that which makes you what you are. A person is that which makes you whom you are. Now, what kind of a being am I? Thanks for the vote of confidence. I appreciate, <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> human being. I'm a human being. Now, who am I? I am Nabil Qureshi. So what I am is a human being. That's my being. Who I am is Nabil. That's my person. The two are not the same thing. That's right. All of us in here shame, share essentially the same type of being that we are. We are human beings, but none of you share essentially the same kind of person that I am. Mm -hmm. We're all different persons. So the characteristic of a being is very different from that of a person. God, so I, I am one being with one person. God is one being with three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Is there anything like that on this earth? No. But does that mean God cannot be one being in three persons? Absolutely, it means he can, he can be that if that's what he is. There's no way we can know these deeper things about God apart from revelation. Uh, I do think that there is enough evidence in this world for us to conclude that God exists. Yep. I think it is the most rational conclusion. It's the most, uh, it covers the most data, it makes the most sense, it fulfills, I think, the criterion of Occam's razor, I think it works. Uh, but how much can we know about God after that point? I think revelation is necessary to know the deeper things about God, and this is one of them, that God is three in one. Uh, it tied in with this concept then of Trinity is also the idea of the persons of God. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Son of God? What does it mean for, uh, for God the Father to be the Father? 
These are different roles in the Trinity, and oftentimes people see the term son and then impute inferiority to the son. In a sense, that's accurate to do. So let me put together some Bible verses for you, because especially when I debate Muslims or dialogue with them, these issues come to the fore, as they did with me when I was a Muslim. Some people will say that Jesus says things like in the Gospel of John, he says, the Father is greater than I. That's true. How is it possible that Jesus is God when he says, the Father is greater than I? Mm -hmm. And I would answer that question by saying, in, in our organization, Uncle Ravi Zacharias, he is the CEO of the organization. He is greater than I am. I'm at the bottom of the totem pole, he's at the top. And right now I'm earning brownie points. He is greater than I am, but he is a human, just as I am. So his being is essentially equal to mine. He's a human being, I'm a human being, we're equal in that sense, but his role is greater than mine, and I'm inferior in that sense. So when Jesus says the Father is greater than I, the being is equal, the role is different. The being is equal and the role is different. Now, some people can get into, is that a hierarchy? Is that complementarianism? Is that subordination? It would depend on what you mean by those roles being different, right? But they are different. And this is how the Trinity all comes into focus when we start reading the scripture. One last thing I wanna close with is some people will say to me, but Nabil, the Trinity is not present in the Old Testament. This is something new that Christians came up with. Nope. I don't think so. Nope. I think when you start reading the Old Testament a bit more carefully, now through the lens of clarity that we have from the New Testament, you start seeing it in the Old Testament. And people might say, where? Where did we start seeing the Trinity in the Old Testament? Mm -hmm. I see it in the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse one. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, let's take that back into the Hebrew. It says, Elohim created. Elohim is the plural of God. It's gods. In the beginning, gods. But then the word created treats that word as if it's singular. In the beginning, God's created as if it were singular. So right there at the very beginning of the Old Testament, you have plurality and singularity in the Godhead. You see it again in the very same chapter where it says, we, God refers to himself as we, plurally. How can God refer to himself plurally? And some people say, well, you know, the Queen of England does that. The plural of majesty was not used in Hebrew at that time. It was not convention. And then also when God says, we will create man in our image, male and female, we will make man. Male and female, in his image, and then it goes to plurality once hmm. again. Multiple times, plurality in the Godhead. I'll end by saying this. In the Shema, this is the, this is the statement that Jews would often recite twice a day. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, very profound proclamation. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. In a world of polytheism, it's very profound. But that word one, Echad, is not used to describe a singularity. It's used to describe something like a cluster of grapes. You would refer to the entire cluster as one cluster. That's what the word echad is. So even in the Shema, we have shades of the Trinity. Mm. It's just clarified through the person of Jesus, and it explains so much of what happens in the gospel. And I think, uh, there's a lot more we could discuss here, but I think it's one of the most beautiful teachings about the depth of God's character and how he is unlike anything in this universe. Amen, amen. And and the reason why the Trinity is important is it gives us a, a good understanding of so many other aspects. He mentioned specifically in an organization. You have someone that's at the top of the organization, a founder of the organization, and you have someone that is uh, an employee of the organization. When you have a good grasp of the Trinity, you have a, a, a great grasp of how authority works, how people being equal in essence, but different in role work. You extend that out to marriage. When you have a, a healthy understanding of the Trinity, you understand that male and female, husband and wife in a marriage they're both of the essence of the marriage, yet they have different roles. That the one is not 
inferior or superior, but they do have different roles, and that may look different sometimes. If you're talking about the family dynamic, right? Church structure, right? So once you have a good grasp of the doctrine of the Trinity, it, it has so many implications for authority. It has so many implications for different roles, yet there being equality. It has so many uh, implications for community. And lately what we, we, we've been seeing is people who are, are struggling with this idea of Jesus not being co-eternal, right? We've seen some of this kind of come up repeatedly. Jesus is uh, uh, Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is entitled to the name of Yahweh uh, as much as the Father is entitled to the name of Yahweh, which is true. If you read Hebrews 1, you will see Jesus being referred to as Yahweh from a psalm where it refers to God as Yahweh and is referring to Jesus with the same psalm in Hebrews chapter 1 as Yahweh. Yahweh is different than the word Elohim, which is plural. Yahweh is the Almighty God. And when you look at uh, uh, Jesus, Jesus can't have a beginning in terms of God giving him a beginning from eternity past. No, Jesus is the beginning. Okay, so this is different. So check this out. If you just look at John 1, 1, in the beginning, the word already existed, the word was with God, and the word was God. If something already existed, it can't have a beginning. In the beginning, the word already existed. So at the very beginning of everything, the word already existed. And then when God begets Jesus, he sends Jesus into human flesh, right? And check this out. Check out Revelation. Here you have Revelation chapter 1, and this is, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, I am the one who is, always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. How can Jesus ever have a beginning? How can Jesus ever exist without the Father, or, or excuse me, how can the Father ever exist without Jesus if here it's very clearly being said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Okay, I am the one who is, who always was. Oh, you know, always means it means always. You know, what beginning means it means beginning, and who is still to come. And then here, this is the profession, the Almighty One, the profession that He is the Almighty God, right? And again, we see it again in uh, Revelation. This is now Revelation chapter twenty-two. This is the end of the book. Again, repeat it again. Jesus, Jesus speaking, repeating it again. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Something cannot have a beginning. If it is the beginning, Jesus does not have a beginning. Why? Because he is the beginning. He is eternal with God, okay? And so I think this, this conversation is a lot simpler than people would like to acknowledge, but we are often chasing different doctrines and, and wrestling with these things. And so I wanted just to kind of point back to that because I think the Trinity is, is, is important and it has implications. That's the crazy part is the Trinity has implications for our day-to-day -day life. You will have so much liberation in understanding how to function in a healthy manner within your marriage, within there being distinctive roles within your marriage, yet there being equality within your marriage, if you understand the Trinity. We see according to the Bible that prayer is extremely important in terms of us being transformed from the inside out when we get aligned with God's will. For the Christians watching this channel, I want you guys to implement these spiritual disciplines in your day-to-day -day life. And the only way I've been able to do this consistently is through writing down my prayers in a prayer journal that does a few things. One, it allows me to reflect and come to God humbly and ask him to move on my behalf. And two, it allows me to document my prayers, which ultimately helped me remember the very things that I was praying for and see the hand of God tangibly in my life when he answers them. So I would urge you, consider writing down your prayers. 
It could be in a blank notebook. It could even be on your phone. Or you could check out the one I personally designed and used for my own quiet time and spiritual discipline that I think will be a huge blessing. It's the exact structure and system that I've used for years to pray and be more consistent in my spiritual disciplines. You can pick yours up today by clicking the link in the pinned comment below. All right, I'll see you over there. Peace.